Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it begins. A desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage hole, Dave! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello and welcome to the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club Podcast and on this episode we're going to be talking about Thrawn Treason, the third installment in Timothy Zahn's new Thrawn series and uh, we got a lot of good stuff in this one, a lot more about the Chiss. Um, My name is Eric, I'm your host and I'm going to be doing this podcast with my co-host Amanda. Hi guys. And Jesse. Hello everybody. Well, I guess let's get right into it, guys. Um, just general first impressions of this book. Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you. What would you think? I think it kind of went in a way that I didn't expect. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely was expecting more from the Emperor, but I'm not mad at it. I really enjoyed getting to be on the side of the Chiss and getting to know more about them and their culture and all the little bits and bobs that have been held secret for us um, for two and a half books. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that was really fun. There is a lot in the art that they use to advertise for the book that made me think we were going to get a lot more Palpatine and we didn't. But that's okay. I still overall enjoyed it. I'd have to agree with that sentiment. I definitely thought um, in this book that we would be seeing Thrawn committing an absolute treason, whether it be to the Chiss Ascendancy or to the Empire. And I I don't feel that we we got that. And I was a little confused on that front. So that definitely threw me for a loop. But I kind of like the way that it went. It left him a little bit more ambiguous. And I like that about him. Yeah, I think for me, um, I think the title of the book makes perfect sense because everyone at one point or another seems kind of like a traitor in this book, right? You have Thrawn who even the Chiss are like, you know, you were supposed, you were sent to the Empire to learn about them, not to join them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now look what you're doing. You're commanding your Grand Admiral and you're doing this and this and this. And then you have people like Palpatine who at the end of the book are again questioning Thrawn's loyalty to the Empire, Ronan throughout this whole book, again, questioning Thrawn, and Ronan questioning Eli, you know, Eli's allegiance to the Empire, and how he's a deserter, and how he's a traitor, and now how he's sort of, like, working with the Chiss, and and then, of course, Savit, who we clearly know what happens with him and, and his betrayal, so I think it's sort of just kind of like a roller coaster of treasonous thoughts. And behaviors, and... yeah. I think one thing that was kind of surprising to me was that we got the Grisks back, and the Grisks played a big role in this book. I was not expecting that. Yeah, I definitely did not foresee them showing up. I thought they were part of the last book, and their chapter was closed, and that was going to be it. And then, lo and behold, they are kind of running this hot mess of the Grylock issue, and 
Is that how you say it? Gralic. See? Gralic, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised to see them back too, and it seems like we're not done with them. They're still at large. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, to me, makes it sound like there are more books to this series, or potential um, for the Grisks to play a major role in either another book series, or I I was going to talk about this later, but we'll talk about it now. I mean, they left this book kind of open at the end, uh, you know, with different characters going into different places, and, uh, you know, the Chiss still going to to handle the grisks, um, you know, in a different part of space. And this could lead to something else because the grisks are Mm -hmm. not done. I'm definitely foreseeing a uh, book maybe titled Ascendancy (laughs) in the future. Well, I'm a little surprised because they originally were talking about these books as a series, which doesn't necessarily have a number attached to it. But then when they started doing press for Treason, they started calling it a trilogy all of a sudden. So I wonder if the trilogy is going to be part of a greater series altogether. I mean, at this point, it is a trilogy because there's three. But I guess so that, that doesn't mean like I guess when I heard that, that to me meant like that was all they intended. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Maybe some Star Wars misdirection. It's just a trilogy until it's not. Yep. (laughs) Put out another one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Grisks again. And, you know, to me it was like they never really seemed to be that much of a threat. Like, anytime they went up against the Empire with Thrawn there, I always felt like Thrawn had everything pretty well in control. Hmm. However... Uh, we do know that the Grisks have allowed the Empire and the Chiss some small victories because even when Aralani's talking to the Grisks, and they don't say much, but um, they did say, well, yeah, you guys did all that, but we kind of like let you, or there's small victories or whatever. But that really got me thinking about like what is the purpose of the Grisks and like why are they doing this and what's the reasoning behind it. So I went back and did more research and, and in my notes and everything, and um, at one point they talk about how the Death Star could potentially be something that the Grisks attack. And I don't know if that was just Thrawn and his group of people sort of using that as leverage for the Empire to assist their cause, assist the Chiss cause with the Grisks, you know, like Vader says, they're a distant threat. They're not something that's near us, or it's not really a problem. But the Grisk strategy, they learn what is most precious to a species and use that weakness to subvert either key leaders or possibly the entire populace to the Grisk will and purpose. It's essentially like this conquest that they have. So, but what um, is the purpose? Um, I, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. I guess they just want galactic domination. Hmm. Yeah, I'm still a little fuzzy on that as well. Like, are they, like, just the Wild Spaces version of the Empire? And, you know, the Chiss is trying to, like, push back against them, taking over. And Mm -hmm. maybe one day they're thinking that, like, it'll be Empire versus the Grisks. And that's, like, two equal forces forces from different ends that they would affect each other. Yeah, and then Thrawn's concern of 
I think that Thrawn in the end of the book was alluding to Palpatine that he thought that the Grisks posed an imminent threat against Stardust, which is why he requested Vader be put on the project. I think that's where he was kind of going with that whole concern. Because the Grisk would then be targeting the Death Star, or Stardust, to their own ends and becoming an Empire-esque force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think we'll just have to wait and see what the Grisk's purpose is. And like we talked about, I mean, they clearly make it sound like we're going to be getting more from them at some point. Let's talk about the main purpose of this book and and, uh, when it takes place and things like that. So this book actually takes place in between episodes of Rebel Season 4. And at the beginning of the book, they talk about how Hera's already been captured and things like that. Um, And if you've seen Rebels, you know exactly um, that episode. And then at the end of the book, they talk about how the situation on Lothal has become critical and it's time for Thrawn to return there. And so it's essentially a week long. It's essentially a week. Thrawn had that week to uh, destroy the the Gralic problem and fix that issue. Uh, And so we get a week long story here. We do get that, that conversation in Rebels and I'll play that audio right now. Your TIE Defender program is at risk. Orson Krennic has been quite persuasive about diverting the funding to his own project, Stardust. The Emperor has assured me that he supports my project. In my view, Director Krennic's project has been nothing but expenses and excuses for years on end. If construction of the Defender is to continue, you must make your case directly to the Emperor himself. I have already arranged the meeting. I'll leave immediately, Moff Tarkin. So what do you guys think of this tie-in between sort of what we're getting in this book with Thrawn compared to what we've seen in Rebels? I got really excited um, anytime I got any hint of a tie-in with Rebels. Obviously, the most exciting thing for me was the end conversation with Thrawn and the Emperor um, talking about Ezra. Because for me, I was thinking this was like the end of a trilogy. And so it, it being left so open-ended, I was just kind of like, oh, man, like... I wanted this to be wrapped up. I wanted to know more. But as soon as I got that like tidbit between them talking about Ezra, I was like, okay, the whole thing was worth it. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, just because they mentioned Ezra. So yeah, I loved anything that had to do with getting a little bit more information on Rebels. Yeah, I definitely, I loved all of the tie-ins to Rebels. And I, again, Um, Like you were saying, with the ending of the book and the conversation between Thrawn and Palpatine and, you know, him mentioning about built about things to be built on the Chimera to lure Ezra in and also the like now because we know how or where Thrawn ends up or not where he ends up, but, you know, that he doesn't end up where he was intending to at the end of Rebels I want to know what that conversation was going to be about between Palpatine and Thrawn. Like, what was Palpatine entirely intending to say? And also, is Palpatine going to move forward with his plans to manipulate the Ascendancy into his pocket? Like, we don't know. He could have had the Ascendancy in his pocket after um, after Rebels was done. I yeah, know. I mean, there's so many things that I went know. through my head while you were saying all of that. Um <laughs> 
especially when it comes to exactly where they left off with Thrawn heading back to Lethal mm-hmm. and just yeah I was wondering about that chamber I'm a little bit confused about it is the chamber is the chamber what Palpatine had built like the temple the yeah that they put okay yeah the um the instructions he left on the chimera that was to build the temple to get Ezra in to try and um either contain or convert him okay to the uh, Empire as well. I think it's pretty cool how we get not only the references to things that happened in Rebels, but also Rogue One. We're getting closer and closer to Rogue One, so we got Krennic at mm-hmm. one point. Ronan, uh, you know, when he has the, the freighter, he's like, oh, I'm going to go back to Scarif and see Krennic and everything. And then Deja is on the, on the ship and shows up in the cockpit, and he's like, oh, well this guy's not supposed to know about Stardust and all the secret plans on Scarif and whatever, so we can't do that. So, you know, the mention of Scarif and Stardust and, and the secret project and the conflict and tension between Krennic and Tarkin, I think, was really cool to see as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed having Krennic for the short amount of time that we got him in this book. And the guy who I always talk so much about the audiobooks because um, I love them, but this guy, I'd have to look up his name who's reading... His voices are just out of this world. Like, I thought I had Krennic, like, in the car with me, along with Ron. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. But, um, but you know, I, I thought that was really interesting, like, to get all that back story, back information, and just to really fully start understanding how manipulative Tarkin is. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we've always known he wants control of the Death Star Project, but he's been just slowly manipulating this from the beginning, basically, and just tormenting Krennic for the longest time, which I think is so funny. (laughs) 100%. I don't think that he ever had any intention of funneling those credits to the uh, TIE Defender project at all. I think that this was just really sticking it to Krennic and ticking him off. He was trying to goad him the whole time. Right, and in that moment in the book where it's just kind of announced... Ronan gives his really bad report on <laughs> what happened and says basically that Thrawn failed. And I was kind of expecting Thrawn to be like, well, wait a minute. Here's why you're wrong. Because that's kind of what he does, right? He yeah. explains mm-hmm. himself and like tells you why he's right. So I was kind of waiting for that. But like looking back at it, it kind of makes me feel like Thrawn realized pretty quickly what was going on. He realized you know, that it was all a manipulation by Tarkin, and he just kind of accepted his fate, that he played into whatever Tarkin needed, and the fact that Tarkin was happy, Thrawn was like, I should be happy, because that's the real guy that, like, matters in all of this. You know what I thought was absolutely hilarious? After everything that happened in Rogue One and how incompetent Krennic has been made to look in that entire movie... Hearing Ronan hero worship him was the most nauseatingly hilarious experience <laughs> of my entire life. I'm like, this guy is a joke. No, uh, stop it. <laughs> you don't I, get it. <laughs> I so felt that. I so felt that. Ronan, 
a great it's he's a great character and he was totally necessary um to the whole book but i just every time he like spoke up i was like well you're still here like <laughs> shush yeah pipe down chachi no one cares <laughs> right he's so annoying but that is exactly what he was meant to be i think oh he was completely obnoxious and like Everyone else is in on the secret as far as, like, Crank's kind of a loser. But he's just sitting there like, but no, no, no. He's awesome. He's, you know, he's the only one that's going to get stuff done in this empire here. And you're like, buddy. (laughs) And, you know, I was thinking back on him because it was such a shock to me at first. Thrawn choosing to leave Ronan with the Ascendancy. I was just kind of floored. I had would never have expected that because, you know, his last guy he left was Eli Vanto, someone who's very capable, very loyal. much an, very loyal, very much an asset. So I was like, why would he put this guy that is, like, he's Thrawn. Like, he can tell. He can look you in the eye and tell that you are like a rat. Like, you know, this guy's <laughs> a rat. So why would he do this? But it's, it's to get all of that, the conversation with him and Arlani, like, Looking back on the whole book, he didn't just—he didn't really explain himself that much to Ronan throughout the whole book, like he mm-hmm. does to everyone else. Everyone he's trying to teach, everyone he's trying to learn, get to learn tactics, and um, he's trying to feel out whether their tactic, tactical abilities are, you know, are worth, worth cultivating. Foster, yeah, worth fostering, worth cultivating. Um, he just, I think he read Ronan like a book right away and was just like, I'm going to use this guy and I'm not going to explain anything to him and I'm just going to totally use him and it's going to work to my advantage. <laughs> and it was brilliant. Yeah. Because he totally like self-destructed his own mission pretty much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking to myself at the end because I, I had kind of paused it before I listened to his explanation to Arlani and I was like thinking about it all day at work. I was like, why? Why would he do this? He doesn't I mean Thrawn's smarter than this. <laughs> he can read anyone's faces. And I was like, oh, he he knows. He knows. Because we get to hear so much of what's inside Ronan's head that it's like Thrawn doesn't need to be the one telling us. Because usually Thrawn's in other people's heads, right? Mm-hmm. Explaining to us what their body stance is and what that means for them. But Ronan was just like an open book. And obviously he knew he was just a snake all along. Oh, yeah. And now he's going to use the fact that he's a snake to plant a couple of bombs of his own in the long term. Yeah, I'm so I'm, I would be so interested to see how that works out and how he just basically gives his own self up. Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine how, I don't know. It's such a weird play. It's such a weird, risky play. But, like, I get it. I think it's pretty funny how Ronan was sort of against Eli for being with the Ascendancy. A former Imperial now with the Ascendancy. And that's exactly what Ronan became. Yeah, and he, like, does it laughing. Like, you know? Like, he goes, he's so... He's so judgmental of Eli. And then the second they threaten him with Vader and he's like, oh, I'll show them. I'll just be a, a spy. <laughs> like, he, like, tail tucked off. going over to the new ship, you know. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about the Chiss. Because one thing that I loved about this book was we got a lot more information on the Chiss. Not only them as a species, but like their technology with their ships and everything. There was one line at one point where I think it was Eli who was getting the Chiss ship ready and it took like 15 seconds where if that was uh, an Imperial ship it would have taken like substantially longer. So the technology seems to be with the Chiss. They also have, uh, in addition to Third Sight, which we got in Alliances, we got information on the Second Sight, which is going to be sort of, um, you know, more of like an inner information from within, I guess. So what did you guys think of, of kind of seeing like the Chiss and their abilities and more from the Ascendancy? I am so here for seeing all the new manifestations of the Force in other beings aside from the Jedi. That's got to be one of my favorite things in the Thrawn trilogy right now, is getting those little tidbits because it makes the Force feel so much more expansive than what we initially get. And I love that it's just like fleshing out this world that we're given. And it's so intriguing because most of them lose their force sensitivity basically mm-hmm. as they age but it's i i kind of think i don't know how you guys feel that Arlani, not Arlani, sorry vanya mm-hmm. that vanya like if you know the jedi order was still around like she she might not have been found by the jedi order but she would be like an actual force user yeah. you know she's like the rare one that's an actual force user i don't know if it has anything to do you know with what they're trying to figure out to see if they can keep their force sensitivity around as they age or if it's just that she was like the chosen one of her people she has more midichlorians i I think vanya might have been my favorite new character of this whole series or of this whole book because she you know i like aralani as well uh, but vanya she provided a lot for the story. That whole second sight scene with her and Unhi, like just holding hands or whatever and just kind of like essentially downloading information from each other, I thought was really cool. Um, and then of course her and Unhi, um, you know, do their third sight navigation, you know, as the book continues on. But I thought there was an interesting dynamic between Vanya and Eli and even Vanya and Thrawn when they have conversations there and Vanya is talking to Thrawn and's like, I saw Unhi's what they did to Unhi and I wanna watch it. I wanna watch you destroy them. I think she has a mm-hmm. lot of really cool aspects to her character. Yeah, I'm definitely big on Vanya. And I really want there to be another book just so I can see if her and Eli end up being a thing because I think <sighs> That they were totally alluding to that like a million times. I'm like, come on, just give me something here. No, I agree. I really loved their sweet little friendship that they had. And I feel like if they do get the time, it could bloom into something more. Yeah, no, they were really cute. They trusted each other um, Mm -hmm. a lot when Eli really had no one else trusting him. You know, she she trusted him. She could tell he was a good person. I feel like that has a lot to do with maybe the force. Maybe she was able to read it in him and just know that he was a good guy. Do you guys think maybe subconsciously 
Eli feels a connection with her because all this time he's actually been studying her without knowing it. Like the other, the other, um, navigators are a lot younger. And so Vanya being closer to Eli's age, I think maybe that has something to do with it. That's true. That could have fostered like the chemistry to begin with. Yeah. Hold on, my mind's still blowing up. Give me a second. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I actually never thought about that, but that definitely could be a possibility. And that would explain why, like, he never caught on to what he was studying until it was spelled out for him because it was manifesting in how his relationship was growing with Vanya. I also wonder if, not that he actually knows what he's looking for, that he'll have, like, a better chance of actually succeeding. I get that he's just kind of looking for a pattern, and they were going to go from there with that. But I feel like now that he knows... What he's applying it to. Yeah, because he's smarter than just numbers, right? So Mm -hmm. I feel like now he has a better chance of actually making those discoveries for them. I 100% agree. What did you guys think of that whole scene where they did that second sight and how, like, they had the potential to get trapped in each other's souls forever, like, the end of time. They're like, oh, it's it's worth the risk. If, you know, if Uni has, uh, if Uni has second sight, I guess they're just trapped in each other's souls forever, but we won't know that until a little bit. Usually it's not for a few more years until they get second sight. It's like, well... Um, these navigators seem to be pretty important to you guys, and now you're just going to play the risk of them getting trapped in each other's souls for... And not only would it be a huge loss, but it would be awful for them. Like, they'd be in a way worse situation than they were with the Grisk. Right. The fact that they were okay in the end with (laughs) Eli, you know, agreeing to do like a community suicide with all the <laughs> yeah. navigators just to save them from that pain of being taken from the grist it is surprising that they were willing to put them through just like a different kind of prison and, and especially with vanya painful. like she's more precious than any other navigator they have more little girls will keep being born with the ability but she is like their gem their unique you know force user yeah. they don't it seems like they don't have another person like her or maybe it's just very, very rare. I yeah. don't know. I, I don't think that the risk was... It's not a risk I would have taken were I in Arlani's shoes. Yeah, it was It was really interesting, though. I love getting to see these new force powers or how different, you know, different uh, cultures, how different cultures are using the force to their advantage. It's cool. What do you guys think about Thrawn sort of nurturing some of these characters? I know we talked a little bit about it when we were talking about Ronan and how Thrawn doesn't really care about sort of nurturing that seed, if you will. Um, But Pharaoh in this book, I think, really came into her own. And, uh, you know, she did that whole mission with Thrawn aboard the Fire Drake while she was on the Chimera and she was the one in charge. And... Yeah, she had Thrawn's instructions, but really it was her that kind of won that that day. Her and, and of course, Eli being successful as well toward the end of the book with the uh, the whole plan with the TIE Defenders. Um, Pharaoh and Eli, you know, they've worked with Thrawn very closely, and I can see that sort of they're the Thrawn 2.0s. Yeah, 
Yeah, Pharaoh's definitely someone to be admired. You know, in all of the adversity, and I mean, and Eli was the same in not getting the promotions that they know that they deserve. And then having, you know, people come up to you and say, like, hey, did you know that you're, you know, your teacher, your guy, the guy you look up to, he's the one holding you back. Like, to to have the, the like, solid foundation of n- your own self-worth, your own self-worth and knowing that you trust your mentor enough to know that that would not be their purposeful intention to hurt your career like it's just I I really admired her her resolve and her ability to just kind of push those negative thoughts aside and do her job to the best of her ability and it worked out for her it's kind of interesting though because at the end of the book like the last scenes that we get with Pharaoh in it she's still sort of questioning Thrawn's loyalty again you know is he turning into a Savit essentially is what she was wondering could this path lead him down the same path that Savit ended up as far as his ties to the Ascendancy went? Uh, yeah, just sort of, like, doing his own thing and, you know, aligning with what he feels like is best for the Empire, you know? Because, I mean, Savit really just... It's not like he was against the Empire. He just didn't believe in the Stardust program, and he felt like the Empire's funds would be better utilized doing something else. Yeah, but she, at the same time, even though she had her doubts, she believed in him enough and believed in, you know, that relationship enough to not just all out be like, hey, this guy's doing something, look over here, like, he's doing something, (laughs) somebody come get him. No, I think that her loyalty to him definitely speaks for itself, and she was also communing with the Empire to try and cover his rear end while things were going down. I thought that was really cool that she figured out a way to keep things up to protocol without outing either of them. Or making it seem like he was favoring the ascendancy, but more so it was like a happenstance that they were there and he was making things work. What did you guys think of that whole Thrawn analyzing the music? I think that was pretty cool. I, They had mentioned Savit being, like, musically inclined and and really into music a few times as the book went on, and I kept being like, why are they telling us this? Like, (laughs) music is not really... In-world music is not really that important in Star Wars, you know? Like, sure, there's the Cantina Band members, and Jabba's got some music, and Zeb listens to a song or two, but, like, it's not something that's huge in-universe, especially during, like, wartime and... And, mm-hmm. you know, within the Empire. So they kept mentioning that. I'm like, why are, why are they telling us this? Like, what what part does this have to play? Yeah, at first, <laughs> I was just going to say, at first I thought they were telling us this because it's like Palpatine likes the opera. And so maybe that's like <laughs> what got him promoted to Grand Admiral. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. we get it. Like, that's how you got in with Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was my original thought when they kept bringing it up. Yeah, I thought they were just saying it repeatedly to reinforce his social status, to say that he's definitely, like, upper crust and more refined, and, you know, that's where his inn is at. Well, it definitely adds a whole nother layer to Thrawn. Not only is he able to analyze 
physical works of art like paintings and things, drawings, but audio as well. He's mm-hmm. able to determine things about people just based off of sounds, which I think is adds a whole nother layer to Thrawn's character. Yeah, I mean the like music and actual physical art is a huge part of any culture. Mm-hmm. So it it does make sense that that would be part of it. Yeah. What did you guys think of the whole chapters with the Death Troopers, uh, Pick and Waffle? Pick and Waffle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those guys were hilarious. Anytime any sort of, like, potential confrontation would would arise, they'd be like, all right, let's go fight. Let's beat them up. You know, like, (laughs) they were just so about being physical that it was funny to me. But I really liked kind of... Uh, getting a little bit more on the death troopers and having them run around without their uniforms on and how that made them feel uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you know knowing that they're medically like augmented um I'm sure that really had to make them feel kind of weird as well but I thought it was interesting that we got a little bit more from the death troopers in this book as well yeah i think that um what we got in those chapters definitely humanized them a little bit more for me Rather yeah. than just being these ginormous guys in, you know, black armor who are here to take control. <laughs> right. And especially in Rogue One, they, like, synthesize their voices, too. So it either sounds like they're speaking a weird language or they're talking through something that's jumbling up their speech um, mm-hmm. to make them unintelligible. You can't understand what's what they're talking about. So, yeah, it was cool to actually get to hear them have a conversation and not just be like gurgly sounds yeah. <laughs> vader at the bottom of a pool yeah that's what they sound like <laughs> I, I thought like in rogue one i thought they were maybe like like an alien task force like they weren't human like under there at all <laughs> like i took that literally like you said it humanized them like i literally for a while thought maybe they're just not even human maybe it's a whole nother thing going on under there yeah Well, I think this third installment, uh, whether it be the final installment or just part three, I think really added a lot to the story. Um, Not only with the sort of uh, the nods to things that happen in Rebels, but if you take a look back, you know, just thinking back at the beginning of summer, right, when we were first starting to read the first Thrawn book and we get this chiss that's sort of uh, you know first infiltrating the the empire compared to what we see now and the the character development that we get with not only Thrawn but Eli despite him not even being in the second book as well as Pharaoh and other characters that we get repeatedly I think it was cool that we got Captain Paleon who was actually in the original Thrawn trilogy And I know you guys haven't read the original Thrawn trilogy by Zahn. Mm -hmm. Um, I think these these books had a different feel to it, but I like them just as equally, I would say. I think it's cool that these books go with the show and we're able to visualize that Thrawn and visualize how he sounds and incorporate that into our Mm -hmm. reading. But what did you guys think of sort of like the cohesiveness and character development and kind of how all these three books read in succession? Like we started in June, July, August, done with the Thrawn books. How do you guys, how do you guys enjoy that? I mean, it was definitely a Thrawn-tastic summer. Mm. 
I liked being able to follow the story along. And I got stuck a couple of times because it's a lot. I, I have a short attention span for anyone who's out there listening. <laughs> Same. It's okay. Me too. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of pulled a dug and went squirrel a few times. But I think it definitely helped me put the story together and stay with the character to have everything, you know, in succession. I really started to appreciate Thrawn a lot more as a as a character, um, I thought he was a really great villain in Rebels, because mm-hmm. um, that was all I knew him from. But I was, like, creeped out by the guy. Like, you know, I, like, hated him. Like, I did not <laughs> like him. I was like, you're messing with my Rebels. I do not like you. You can die anytime now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but through reading these, I he's so much more complex than just being a villain. Um, and I still three books in and I keep asking you guys how you feel about this but I still question is at heart maybe not heart is maybe not the right word but is Thrawn really a bad guy or is he fulfilling ends that need to be fulfilled to get on the Empire's side to see a bigger picture that we've only just started to see the edges of yeah I I don't know I still I'm still questioning it are you guys (laughs) Well, these books, they were such a struggle emotionally for me because, like you, I was like, I hate Thrawn. I am so over him. Can somebody please just, like, drop him down a well? I'm sick of it. Right. And then you read all these. He's the good guy in these books. I mean, he's definitely 150% the protagonist, and you are rooting for him, and you want him to succeed, and... He, you know, he is the last person who wants loss of life. He's not wasteful. He's not malicious. He's just trying to do his job. But it's hard to discern what his job is according to him. Like, where does that end up? That's the thing. Is is he just using the Empire? Even though he's loyal to them and he will do everything that they ask him to do to an extent, is there something that we're not seeing that he's going to use them for later on? See, if somebody would ask me, is Eli Vanto a bad guy? He works for the Empire. Is he a bad guy? I would say no. Eli's not a bad guy. Agreed. Thrawn, I think part of what makes Thrawn a bad guy is what we're used to seeing him from and like you know, like I mentioned before, the the previous Thrawn trilogy, I still have memories of that trilogy, and and so you have this like preconceived idea of what Thrawn is in your brain, and even in the Rebels TV show, like he seems more of like a bad guy, but now we're getting into his head more and trying to figure out what his true intentions are, and just like with Eli, just because you. You know, I kind of, I might be, I might be like contradicting something I said on our previous one. I, I think I said something like, "Well, you put that uniform on and you you serve the Empire, you're you're a bad guy." But I don't, I don't know if that's true. I mean, because like I said with Eli, I don't think that's the case. But with Thrawn, he's got so many complex aspects to his brain and what his ultimate, where his ultimate loyalty lies. Because no matter what, Thrawn's lying somewhere. 
he tells the Chiss his ultimate goal is to do whatever he can for his people. He tells Palpatine no matter what, he's going to do whatever he can to save the Empire and to help the Empire. Well, at some point, that can't be both, mm-hmm. you know? So I think deep down, Thrawn's loyalty does lie with the Chiss and not the Empire. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, you know, I would say Thrawn isn't the villain that we think he is. But I don't, I think Thrawn is smarter than that. And I think he knows what the Empire is. I think he, I think he knows that the empire is too lawful, you know. I think yeah. they they get to a point where there's no freedom for anyone. And I yeah. think Thrawn understands I think Thrawn understands what the empire is. Well, even in the last book, we had Thrawn stating that, you know, he doesn't assume that the em- emperor himself is going to be around forever and what he is fighting against is chaos. He does not want chaos. He likes the order of the empire. He likes the structure and he wants to you know, help build a more structured universe. Yeah, I get the feeling, especially the more we get on him and the Ascendancy, and I get the feeling that he he doesn't agree completely with the Ascendancy either, because he was supposed to, we find out in this book, he was supposed to be back already. He was supposed <laughs> to be back on their side. He was supposed to be done with his mission, and he chose to stay. So I feel like he, in his head, has something up beyond even what, the Ascendancy's goals are. And I almost feel like, I don't know if this is giving him too much, like, too much, like, power. Like, it's almost elevating him to, like, a <laughs> godlike state, which I know is not the case. But, um, but like, does he have a bigger, better idea for what the galaxy could be? And then he wants to com- either combine, you know, the ideas of the Empire with the Chiss and, you know, rid of the bad and just mesh the good. Yeah. Uh, something like that, maybe. I don't know. I I don't see him wanting to be the all-ruling power, though. I don't see him no. wanting to fill that dictator role because something that he reiterates over and over is that he is a warrior. Mm-hmm. And he is very firm in that set of values, and he requires results. So, I, I don't know. There's so definitely hard. a lot to, to think about and, and, and ponder related to Thrawn. Um, I would say almost more so than any other character, uh, maybe not Palpatine, especially with him showing up in, in Nine, potentially. Uh, you know, there's a lot to contemplate with that, but... Thrawn is a is a complex part of Star Wars, and I think that's what's great is that people have so many ideas and so many potential things could happen. Uh, especially since what happens in Rebels is up in the air; like we don't know anything about uh, where Thrawn is right now or what's going on with uh, his character. So I hope whether it's in another book or you know um, either another animated series. I mean, Resistance season two is the final season, so maybe Lucasfilm is cooking up something else for us. I'm not sure, but definitely a lot of potential for that. I don't know. And what I just thought about was something that happened in that last conversation with Thrawn and Aralani, where you know she said she states that she doesn't think she's going to see him again and he says before that he says something to the effect of are you know are you going to come and rescue me when that happens you know when i get in over my head cuz she thinks that he's going to you know maybe step in it at some point with the 
fast and loose game he's been playing. And I, you know, we don't know where Ezra and Thrawn jettisoned off to with the Purgle. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many brain bombs happening right now, I'm having trouble with words, but what if the Ascendancy picks them up? What if, like, Ezra's, like, in a book, in, in in the continuation of this little path that they're carving for us? What? I, that's, yeah, that'd be really cool if Arlani <laughs> picked them up. And was like, yeah, guys, what are you doing out here on literally, a broken ship with a bunch of purgle? <laughs> right, I was literally, I rewatched the very, um, the last episode of Rebels to prepare for this, um, to refresh my brain. And I was just thinking, as the purgles, like, take them away into hyperspace house like, what if like Arlani's got like a gravity well generator and she's just like <laughs> stopping them right back nope. <laughs> to where she is and being like alright let's go oh my gosh <laughs> but I also like weird sidebar um, <laughs> I don't know if this like kind of got disproved in our earlier conversation but my original thought when in the very end of the book when Palpatine was telling Thrawn to construct a chamber and get Ezra Bridger into the chamber before I rewatched the episode and was like, oh, he he's probably talking about this temple portion that they put in the Chimera. But my original, my first thought that I had was that the bridge of the Chimera had somehow been reinforced and Thrawn's like goal all along was to get Ezra there um, where we where we see them end up. Hmm. You know, right before they go into hyperspace, yeah. Ezra's holding Thrawn there with the Purgles. Um, that was my original thought. And I even, like, went back and I tried to think about, like, the wording. Like, construct a chamber. Then they get to it in Rebels and they're like... Uh, and then Palpatine says, I brought this temple here, you know, piece by piece. I mean, Palpatine's a liar and a manipulator. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know if his exact wording really matters, um, but I was just kind of questioning a little bit if that is really what, which of the two things, like, is it the thing that I made up in my head? Did I make it up in my head that it was, <laughs> that it was the bridge and that was where they were meant to end up all along in Palpatine and Thrawn's grand plan? Or was he talking about that temple? I think that he was talking about the, um, the piece of the temple that he had Thrawn build. But I don't think that, like, I think he was using definitely some Sith sorcery um, mm-hmm. to manipulate what was going on in the temple. I don't really think there was much magic left in the temple. And I think that if Ezra had gone through that door, it wouldn't have had anything to do with the Force or a temple. It would have been a chamber in which to hold to use or hold to contain Ezra. Whether or it be you- made to turn him or what. Or I even thought, like, it would just be, like, the world between worlds kind of thing, where he could get back and be with his parents, but then Palpatine would just kind of shut the door, and he would basically just be starting over with his parents back in time, and maybe just grow up to never... I don't think so. I think it would have been, like, a Truman Show-esque reality, where it's not real. He's forced into a submissive state... And, like, trapped in his mind. Yeah. Where none of it's actually happening. 
Well, clearly, you know, there's <laughs> different opinions, a lot of things to discuss here. Um, but let's kind of wrap this up here, guys. Um, any final thoughts on Thrawn Treason or as the, the trilogy as a whole? Anything else to add? I give it a 10 out of 10, and I also give mad, mad props to Timothy Zahn because he created this character in this story not once, but twice for the Disney takeover. So creating a character in their storyline twice is a pretty impressive feat, and I think he did a really great job with this trilogy. Yeah, I really loved it. I really enjoyed, you know, getting in Thrawn's head, and I've really... I really appreciate him now. He's definitely a character that sparks my interest. He's definitely one of my all-time favorite, I guess, villains, if we're going to call him that. I'm still <laughs> not sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think I would have ever cared about Thrawn ever again if it wasn't for this trilogy. <laughs> so, I yeah, I'm really glad to get in his head and, and start to really appreciating his character. Yeah, definitely. I think this book and this trilogy really open up a lot of potential for f the future of Star Wars with wild space and unknown regions and threats from other parts of, of the galaxy or other galaxies. I think it, it really opens up what uh, could happen in Star Wars. And, you know, like you guys are talking about, uh, it really gives you a, a good appreciation for the character and the amount of uh, thought that goes into writing a character like Thrawn. Um, I'm sure that uh, is not a, an easy feat, but I think understanding how people think is really something that you have to know about when writing a character like that, and I think Zahn does a great job with it. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we do have some, uh, some things from some people who uh, wanted their thoughts mentioned on the podcast, and I'll start with Connie. And Connie wrote a bunch of stuff on here. Uh, she was guessing that Tarkin was trying to set Thrawn up this whole time uh, to fail with the Grelix since he said that Stardust was his secret interest. She liked the exchange in Chapter 8 between Thrawn and Aralani. She thought that uh, it was interesting getting more on the Death Troopers. She thought it was cool that they were medically augmented beyond Stormtroopers, that they're becoming more yet less human. She really enjoyed the chapter where Pharaoh goes to battle without Thrawn. You could really feel the intensity, and it was great to see that without Thrawn in the picture. Uh, she did exactly as he figured she would and likely trained her to do thinking about odds and patterns and tendencies. Uh, yay for Eli's love life and for his promotion. <laughs> yay for Pharaoh's promotion. I agree on those. She thought it was interesting uh, the ep in the epilogue about the Emperor still wondering about whether Thrawn is loyal, but he remains useful, so he keeps him on uh, the search for Ezra. So, yeah. Thanks, Connie, for your input. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. We've got Dumo, who wants to know who should play Thrawn. And what are the chances he or Ezra show up in episode 9? And his choices for a live-action Thrawn would be either uh, Matt Smith or Michael Fassbender, who played Magneto in a couple of the uh, X-Men films. Yeah. I think that that would actually be a really great choice. He's got that super smooth demeanor, and I think he could pull off a very strong Thrawn. Yeah. 
I know some people at one point were talking about like Pierce Brosnan. He's got like the Thrawn look, but he's he's too feel, old. Yeah, he's a little too old. I mean. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. He's old. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I feel like I could see. I'm terrible with actors' names, but the guy that plays Voldemort. <laughs> oh, um, Ralph Fiennes. Sure, <laughs> I could totally see him. I could see um, him. I could see Benedict Cumberbatch. He's got a weird face for Thrawn, I think. (laughs) Agreed. However, (laughs) he's um, a blue alien. (laughs) That's true. CGI, there's magic and technology (laughs) these days. But somebody mentioned um, Kent. Kent actually mentioned Thrawn reminding him of Sherlock Holmes in one of his comments, and he said that was part of why he really enjoyed it. Um, He's a masterful thinker and strategist, and he explains his plans to bring people up to a higher level of thought. So that was from Kent, so that's super interesting that you said Benedict Cumberbatch because because he's Sherlock. (laughs) So the personality is, is right there. He has that ability to play that type of character. That analytical, confident character which i know is typecasting but who cares we all do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) but what about the chances that they show up in episode nine as ren thrawn i think i I slim to none yeah i I wish but i don't think so i think that there's a good chance in like what eric you had just said a moment ago um in that being a portion of you know other episodes of other other Obviously, we're done with the episodes. Sad. Um, but other continuations of different areas of Star Wars, wherever we're heading in the future, whether it's a standalone film or maybe, you know, Disney Plus seems to be doing a lot of stuff. So yeah. we'll get a little series. Yeah, I could see there being like a limited series on Ahsoka and um, Sabine mm-hmm. going to find Ezra. But I could yeah. also see to fill in that in between time period where Thrawn is Thrawn and Ezra are presumably doing together. Whatever they're doing. Yep, I could see that being a continuation in books going forward um, as an offshoot from the the Thrawn trilogy that Zahn started. Yeah, I think we'll see them again. I do not think that story got left off either where we just finished in the books or at the end of Rebels. Like that was very clearly to me. Not an end. Yeah. That was a new door opening. Mm-hmm. From Patricia, I thought it was interesting that she has actually never seen Rebels before. So this was her first impression of Thrawn, which is interesting. And she said that her interest was Thrawn exploring all of the Star Wars Star Wars worlds, looking at both sides. I stand on my original impression of someone you hate to like um, when it comes to Thrawn. She said that she respects his commitment to his people and his job and ethics and tactics in doing so. This book is worth a read as the ending was not anticipated, but in a good way. And she's excited now to go back and see where it all started with Rebels. Yay, I'm excited that she's going to go watch Rebels. That show is such a joy. (laughs) It is. It's truly, I just rewatched like only the parts that had to do with Ezra and Thrawn. Um, I kind of fast forwarded through everything else and I was in tears already. Like just with just those little tidbits because it's just so beautiful. 
And we've also got some um, input from Samantha. They were both written by Timothy Zahn, so Thrawn is the same character throughout both books. These trilogies were written uh, much more from his viewpoint than the original trilogy, so I could admire his genius in the old trilogy, but very much thought of him as evil, whereas in the new trilogy you feel more like he's a good guy, and the rebels are bad just because you're reading more from their point of view. It's everything that I feel. (laughs) Yup. All right, well... (laughs) Thank you to everyone who submitted your thoughts on the book and participated in our discussion questions uh, every week. And we are getting uh, discussion questions out uh, at least a couple every week for our chapters for that week. So uh, make sure to continue to look at that and go back and answer any of them. Uh, if you're uh, you know, still reading the book, I'm going to answer some of the discussion questions I haven't gotten to probably within the next day. But that'll bring us to September, which uh, I know some people have already started our book for this month. But Amanda, what are we reading? We are reading Galaxy's Edge Black Spire by Delilah Dawson. And I am so excited to get started on this book. Yeah, I was just out at Galaxy's Edge. So I have sort of like this mental image of... Black Spire Outpost and Vi Marathi kind of walking around avoiding stormtroopers and things like that. So after just having returned from Batu, this is something that I am extremely excited to uh, to learn more about and to see how the book incorporates aspects of the park. I have a question for you. There is a beautiful picture that Amanda posted of yes. the Barnes and Noble exclusive, mm-hmm. um, and there's this beautiful poster of Fatu. Have you looked at that picture, Eric? And is it a map of the Disney Park? Uh, yes. I- um, ah! So it is. Oh. It is uh, something that is slightly. I mean, it's it's a map, so it's it's not going to be like completely accurate, but like yeah, it is. It is the it is the park. So like the cantina is not far from, like the spaceport area where the Falcon's at. The Droid Depot is oh. kind of there. Yeah, uh, it's it's relatively similar. Yes, that's awesome. Savvy's workshop is right by Doc Ondar's. Is that I can't. This picture's blurry. It's hard for me to read Sorry. what that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a really, really gorgeously done map and piece of artwork by Jeff Carlisle. And he got to work with Imagineers in developing a lot of the map. And, you know, he got to come up with some of those really cool little tidbits that you get to see on that exclusive uh, mini poster. So I thought that was such a cool piece of Star Wars Easter egg that they give us. But to answer your question, Jesse, yeah, it is it is pretty pretty similar to the way that the park is laid out. So cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we definitely would enjoy your guys' uh, participation in the book club for the month of September. So, like Amanda said, we are doing Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, and we, I believe, are going to be doing our discussion questions on Sundays, right? Yes. Sundays. Yep. Um, Sundays are the day, guys. This month. So we'll get uh, at least a couple discussion questions out every week. And um, Amanda also has the reading schedule um, that's been posted as well. So um, we'd love to have you guys participate with us and invite your friends as well. 
And uh, if you want to join Jesse, where can people uh, join the book club at? You can join us on Facebook. We have not only our, our Facebook page where you can find our Twin Sons Outpost page, um, but then from there you can also find our Twin Sons Outpost book club. It is a open public group. Um, anyone can join it, and that is where we post all our discussions, and it's been really fun so far, so you should come join us. All right, and... We also have a normal show that we do multiple times a month, which is Twin Suns Transmission, and Jesse and I are going to be discussing everything from D23 on our next show, which is going to be all about the Mandalorian trailers, as well as uh, the sizzle reel from um, the Rise of Skywalker, which is pretty cool. Uh, so we've got a lot of content to discuss. Uh, Lucasfilm confirmed Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ewan McGregor as, as Kenobi, so I think that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, Jesse. So stay tuned for that to be released within the next uh, week or week or two. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club podcast. We'll see you next month where we discuss Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. May the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Point on how to win. This time you are not going to meet my team.